Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Tibble. From inside the centre square. time of day everyone welcome to episode 122 of americans watching the footy our round 20 preview i am benjamin castle alongside ryan harambe the footy cat in south san francisco california i'm ethan castle in durham north carolina home of duke university it's funny you know how much duke stuff i've seen around here like almost none you've seen more Tar Heel stuff more unc more nc state more east carolina Shouts out Lee. Um, Duke, it's a little like Stanford in that it's like this little private school that the only people that like it are the people that actually went to school there. Just that Duke also has like a national following because their success is in a revenue sport, whereas Stanford's really good in all the non-revenue sports. Yeah, I guess with their football program being down now, that's, uh, that's definitely the case. But yes, this is my 38th state. Before we get started, I did want to mention something kind of cool. I watched a few minutes of Major League Cricket last night, and the uh, quality of play was actually pretty good. At least the batsmen were good. Um, I didn't think the bowlers were especially gifted, and the fielders had, like, no range whatsoever. For a format like T20 with faster pace of play, there's going to be more of a focus on the batting in the first place, I think. I just hope that Major League Cricket actually starts getting some live coverage here, and it's not just another money grab for India. The crowd did look like 90% Indian, but it was, it was cool. It was the San Francisco Unicorns who had the lead over the Texas Super Kings, but then uh, Milind Kumar went off he had like four or five sixes, and Super Kings ended up winning. But it was fun. It makes me want to get into either the Indian Premier League or the Big Bash League. BBL would be a nice one to get into during the uh, footy off season. Yeah, the, the, the IPL I think would be fun just because like, I find Indian culture really, really entertaining. Like, for example, some of the like half English things like, you know, in Hanglish or Tanglish or whatever. And then you've got like some of their words for things that are just hysterical. Like instead of move the meeting up, it's prepone the meeting. You know, it's the opposite of postpone. You got to prepone it. Or uh, our favorite phrase, do the needful. Yes, kindly do the needful. Basically, just like do what you got to do. Anyway. We are going to kindly do the needful now and break down the nine games in round 20. It's the rematch round. Uh, eight of nine games are between teams that have already met up once this year. And the one that isn't is between teams that matched up twice last year. In fact, half of these, uh, those rematches there, half of the eight were played either in round 10 or round 11. So it's just about kind of a halfway point there. And we begin with Kolkar on Friday night at the G. We call it Cole Car or Car Cole, depending on which of Collingwood or Carlton are hosting after the legendary Brazilian soccer rivalry Fla Flu between Flamengo and Fluminense. It ain't no Kolkata Derby, 
but it's pretty good. 7.50 p.m. local time as usual on Friday night, and it'll be on Fox Sports 2 here in the U.S., 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific. As always, coverage starts at the half hour here. The Pies enter off of another typical Collingwood win thanks to Jamie Elliott against Port Adelaide. They're a game clear at first at 16-2, and two, while the Blues are out of the eight just on percentage after defeating West Coast. So because we've had these two draws and three of those teams are right next to each other, yeah, percentage does matter. These teams met in round 10, a 28-point Collingwood win that was not as close as it appeared. That was right in the middle of Carl's struggles. Uh, the biggest thing that I remember from that game was that Darcy Moore had 11 intercept marks and then it was changed to 10 because one of them happened after a siren. Or so they tell us. Wake up, sheeple. Darcy Moore didn't want to get murdered by Gil. He willingly gave up the record. We discussed this last time. Collingwood's speed was also really on display in that round 10 matchup with Bobby Hill and Bo McCreary being really important. And meanwhile, for Colton, I remember Sam Walsh basically saying on Fox Funny afterward, the fans have a right to be disappointed. We need to be better. And they have in recent weeks, although not liking their chances of beating Collingwood for just the second time in 10 meetings. I'd like their chances a little bit if they were healthier, but uh, they're not healthy. As if having Matt Kennedy and Harry Mackay out with knee injuries wasn't enough, Jack Silvani jarred his knee and was subbed out against the Eagles. And then Sam Walsh did his hamstring before halftime. They're on the frame to get Adam Chera and Patty Cripps back from their respective injuries. They were largely managed this past week. Meanwhile, in the ruck, Mark Pittnett played in the VFL, and Lewis Young could also be elevated as some cover if needed. I'd imagine it's going to be DeConing and Pittnett, considering DeConing's been pretty darn good in the ruck the past couple weeks. DeConing's been excellent. I would honestly consider... Like, do you even need pitting that in there? As crazy as that sounds, that's something that I never would have thought of saying three weeks ago. In that case, then maybe Lewis Young would be more important as defensive and ruck cover. I guess, you know, not having Silvani there definitely does force your hand a little bit, which could make things more open for pitting that. And maybe instead having DeConing swing forward as that second forward option next to Charlie Kerna. And the tall forwards will need to be a focus for the Blues because their smalls are hurt too. Jesse Motlop was taken out in the fourth quarter last week, and we don't know about the status of Corey Durden, Jack Martin, Matt Owies. Josh Honey was a late in last week, and Zach Fisher could be ready to return from his hamstring injury, but it's kind of a mess. Meanwhile, Collingwood, you know how many games of experience they had on their injury list this week? Zero. Eleven. Generally speaking, the best teams tend to be the healthiest. And they've been fortunate with their health the past couple of years. Yeah. Looks like Will Hoskinelli could be back. He broke his hand just a couple of weeks ago. And then down to the VFL, Jack Ginevan is best game of the year. Ash Johnson and Billy Frampton played well. And it looks like Josh Carmichael's still doing his thing down there. Yeah, he was my sleeper pick for this year. And it's just hard for him and Finn McRae and the rest of them to get opportunities. Craig McRae has really been talking up Ginevan's VFL game. As of late, I would not be shocked if he does come in. And with Carlton's tall situation uncertain, I wouldn't be shocked if Collingwood are okay with going smaller. Pies are favored by 18 and a half. It is Collingwood, so expect a tight win, I guess? Or do we just expect a blowout this time? I would expect him to win by a little bit more, just considering who Carlton are missing. But maybe they don't pull away until like late third quarter or something. I feel like 
this could get into halftime pretty interesting and then kind of blow open. If somehow Carlton pull it off, there will be no lids left. Daniel Gorge will probably just go and put dynamite to all of his lids. Geelong hosting Fremantle on Saturday. Yeah, the Cats would uh, really like for the Pies to get the job done to not have to sweat about Carlton. Yeah, that that would help. Uh, Saturday, the first two games are both pretty significant. And you know what really grinds my gears? That they start at exactly the same time. Yep, no offset by like 25 minutes or whatever. Nope, both just 1.45 p.m. Eastern in Australia. Yep, so it'll be Friday night, 8.45 p.m. Pacific time, 11.45 p.m. Eastern time, where I'll be, and then 11.45 a.m. on Saturday if you're in Perth watching. This is a Fox Sports 2 game. Cats that are at 9, 8, and 1, they're in 8, coming off the loss to the Lions. Dockers in 7 and 11, they are in 15th. Having lost to the Swans, the eight-game streak of 15th place winning is over. Pour one out. The Dockers pulled off a 29-point win in round 10 at Office Stadium, and the Cats really missed Sam DeConey in that game. The Frio speed was really important in that one as well, and Sean Darcy dominated in the ruck. That was while Reese Stanley was still out, yeah? I think so. And it was, yeah, which made, the, probably made DeConing absence even more important than just because it meant that he couldn't also cover a bit for John Segler. But the Cats don't need to worry about Darcy this time. He has been ruled out for the season with his ankle injury. Suffered that a couple weeks ago against Collingwood at the G. The thing I really remember from that prior meeting, it was Tom Stewart's one crappy game in like the last three years. You know, even the best have to have one at some point. And that was his. Sounds like Gary Rowan should be back this week. He was a laid out last week with his ankle injury, though he was never like a certainty to be back in. It sounds like he should be a full go. Uh, Sam Benegola was an emergency. Maybe they bring him in for some help on the wing. Would allow Max Holmes to do more in the middle. Holmes was totally overmatched last week. It was like the first time you can say that all year. And then down at the VFL, Brandon Parfit came back from a broken hand and played pretty well. I still can't see him getting another AFL game this year. Uh, Mitch Nevitt played pretty well down there. I would really like to see him in. And then Asaba Radagalea played down there and struggled with Darcy Ford. I said it last week. I've said it multiple times. Nevitt needs to be in, period. Especially matched up against such a strong, contested midfield. You can't let Caleb Sarong absolutely dominate, even though it didn't hurt the Swans last week. You need to be able to bring the pressure against Frio, outnumber him, stretch him out. And with the concerns they also have with their injuries on the wing, that could really allow Holmes or maybe Metagola to play some of their best. So yeah, about those Dockers' wings, James H. and Nathan O'Driscoll are facing tests on their quad and calf, respectively. I guess at this point then, with their status unclear, is Ethan Stanley the solution? He was the sub last week and impressed in a bit more than a quarter. So I think time was right for him to be on the 22. Some good deliveries into the 50 there. That kicking ability would be important to be able to get better setups for Luke Jackson and Josh Tracy. Jackson will probably need to be that first-rate ruck again. I was not a big fan of Josh Corbett's inclusion last week. He didn't really do what he was asked to do. So I'm insisting that Liam Reedy gets the opportunity with his debut. Uh, rookie draft selection this year out of Frankston, who 
could be more of the forward and ruck support that Frio will need, not just for this game, but the rest of the way with Sean Darcy out. Also want to mention that it's going to be Ethan Hughes' 100th game on the older side for them, but could also be an important piece with some wing support. He was my sleeper pick this year, and I've generally been right about the impact he's had. Cats favored by 43 and a half. I would bring this down by 10 to 15 points. I do think we've had the misfortune of catching Frio at the wrong time each of the last two meetings, and I think we're catching them at the right time. But I'm a little concerned that Cardinia Park configuration and dimensions kind of forces them to play through the middle, which is one of their strengths. Yeah, and, you know, talking about the wings, I guess it's more really outside mids on such a narrow ground like that. The Cats can match up against him there, but I could also see the Doctors pushing the pace and really exposing Geelong through the middle. Andrew Brayshaw would need to probably do more contested in that case because it was really just Sarong last week against the Swans. I would consider having Mark O'Connor go straight to Sarong and stick on the entire game. I would be totally okay with that. I think Sarong is really, you know, Every Fremantle path to success kind of goes through him. I think Luke Ryan can take away one of Tom Hawkins or Jeremy Cameron, but Jezza needs a bounce back game in a major way. If he could get up to like nine, 10 score involvements, that would be huge. I know he's been playing through a lot of injuries. Hopefully he's more like his fully healthy self this week because it's badly needed. As good as some of the contributions have been from other forwards, we need a big Jezza game. I remember, I think it was Glicko, Rory Kilpatrick, who was talking about maybe managing Hawkins for this game. I guess that would push Cameron more into the spotlight if that happens. I think that would really require Roland to be healthy if Hawkins is to be managed, though. Ooh, not something I would have even thought doing, but easily I mean, if you're, I think it's because he and others consider this a more comfortable game for the Cats than really any of the next four. Yeah, I think the only other one that you could see as somewhat comfortable would possibly be the Saints. So going on right at the same time as the Cats and the Dockers, you've got maybe the most important game to be played at Mars Stadium in the AFL's history there as the Dogs host the Giants. So yes, both Bulldogs and Giants meetings this year are at alternate sites, which is unusual. Unfortunately, this broadcast will be delayed in the U.S., on Fox Soccer Plus to 8.30 a.m. Eastern, 5.30 a.m. Pacific. So either set that to record or do the logical thing and have Watch AFL so you can have that on your computer and Geelong and Frio on your TV. Both clubs enter at 10 and 8. Bulldogs up to 5th after their win against Essendon. The Giants took care of business in the second half against the Gold Coast Suns. They are up into 7th. I cannot believe that. Yeah, that game last week, we forgot to call it by its proper name, the expansion extravaganza. So just wanted to apologize for that. Uh, The earlier meeting this year, a 15-point Bulldogs win, wet night, Toby Green laid out, Marcus Bonimpelli and Tim English were awesome, and so was one of our favorites who unfortunately kind of tapered off in the following weeks and probably won't be back in the lineup until next season, barring a bunch of injuries, Arthur Jones. Yeah, that was his most active game, I believe his first multi-goal game as well. I really noticed his and Aaron Naughton's contributions down the stretch. The Bulldogs have won the last five meetings after the club split the first 12, which included a couple finals. Of course, one of those being that great 2016 prelim. 
And one of the most important pieces from 2016 for the dogs is in the frame to return this week, that being Jason Johannesson. He heard his hamstring was a high-grade strain back in round 10, All but reports have him potentially rejoining the AFL side. As the Bulldogs rebounded from some early struggles this year, Johannesson was one of their most important pieces in that as somewhat of a halfback like, especially once Caleb Daniel was moved forward. The VFL side, I think it's safe to say, Ethan, they uh, put on some selection pressure this past week. Yeah, um, I was thinking about maybe introducing this episode as like, you know, we're going to break down all four Northern Bull Ants behinds. But uh, yeah, Footscray beat the Ant 161-4. to uh, I gotta say, despite the fact that ants are pretty badass creatures in general, like when you consider, for example, like the amount they can lift compared to their body weight and stuff, and even though bull ants have, you know, these giant jaws and shit, it's hard to make that into an intimidating mascot. Like, think about this. Would you name a team the Cone Snails? Cone Snails are extremely dangerous, but, like, I'm sorry, they can't be intimidated by a team called the Snails, even if it's a snail that can kill you. Now I'm just thinking about the Bull Weevils, though. It's, I think it's a university of, one of the University of Arkansas campuses, I yeah, think. Arkansas Monticello. Thank you, yes, the you know, Bull Weevils. One of the old sports center commercials to have a thing with them. Yeah, I think I'd still be more intimidated by a Bull Ant than a Bull Weevil unless I work in the cotton industry. But, but yeah, just not a very intimidating mascot in general. But looking at those big contributors for the Bulldogs in that VFL route, Rory Lop bounced back with five goals. Toby McLean had three. Riley Garcia had a couple. Uh, 50 hitouts for Jordan Sweet, but good luck getting in in front of Tim English. How would the Bullants compare to the Eagles waffle side? Well, they'd probably still spank him. I don't think so. Actually, you know what? Now that the Eagles have like five or six AFL-listed players in the Waffle as of late, I'm not so sure. But thinking again about Jordan Sweet, I wonder if one of the Adelaide teams could look at him to potentially come home. He's a North Adelaide product, still just 25 years old, has only gotten 10 AFL games for the Bulldogs. I could see, you know, if the Crows wanted to do a two-ruck thing, that would work, but I think Port's the more logical fit there. It would be a lot more affordable than uh, trying to get Brody Grundy. And also, if the Crows do go for him, I feel like that would not be great for our guy, Riley Filthorpe. On the GWS side for this week, Tom Green still out with his hamstring injury. I don't think he was watching the game with the fan club this past week. Do we ever get any confirmation or any any coverage on that? Not sure if we did. I remember he did when he was suspended earlier this year. And then Jesse Hogan still out with his quad injury. Uh, Lachlan Keefe could return with a hamstring injury, but I don't know if he's needed uh, Connor Stone had three goals down in the BFL, but it's really hard to make any changes to this team right now, yeah? Yeah, especially, you know, thinking about defense of the taller side with Keith, with Nick Haynes back and still playing well, and the midfield did their job this past week again. I really feel like Josh Kelly is getting a lot more deserved attention this year, and with Cadelio working more inside, Kelly's gotten some of the best touches, a little bit more to the outside these past few weeks, and the Giants have been better for it. Dogs favored by 11 and a half. I like the Giants here. I want to like the Giants, even with the history in this matchup. Ah, this is a difficult one to tip. 
it's going to be another really great battle in the midfield, I think, which is not surprising at all. Let me just take a look at the weather for this coming weekend in the Central Highlands to see if that'll impact anything. Uh, Some rain on Friday and Sunday, but it should be dry for Saturday and partly cloudy, humid, though. You know why I like the Giants here? I think Adam Kingsley can outcoach Luke Beverly. And I think in a tight game, that stuff makes a big difference. And with Toby Green being in this week and with Finn Callahan in better form as well after missing a game with a hip injury a couple weeks ago, which the Giants still won. I I still can't believe that they won that game in Adelaide, coming back with five goals to none of the fourth without Tom Green, without Finn Callahan. I think we've really come to be positively surprised by the depth of the Giants list, especially on the young end. I think they're they're clearly ahead of schedule. I've said many times this season they've already done everything they've needed to to make this year a success. I think for the dogs to win this game, Cody Wayman will need to have one of his days. Wait, he put I assume Taylor gets Naughton. I would assume Taylor gets Naughton. I'm wondering how Waitman would get managed on the the smaller side there. Would you have a more mobile guy like Connor Iden go to him, or would you want Iden to play Contest a bit more? My guess would be Iden. I'm guessing Iden and maybe sometimes Callahan. I guess what? Himmelberg on Jamara? Himmelberg or maybe actually Jack Buckley, and then have Himmelberg go up against Tim English when he goes forward and be loose otherwise? That could work. Buckley got a ton of praise last week. I think I would put him and Jake Riccardi in the same category. Players who we didn't have a high opinion of at the start of the year after some down performances. And guys that I thought reliabilities that are now strengths. Yeah. Some of the most important players as they've had this great patch of games. All right. The middle game on Saturday. I'm glad that Q Clash has its own time slot. At the same time, I don't expect it to be that good of a game, especially because it's on the Gold Coast. There's another rivalry that should have gotten a time slot to itself that didn't. You know, my opinion on Q Clash is the same as it's always been. Give me reason to be excited about this. Until Q Clash gets good and, like, really competitive, I want someone else to step in and be the Suns' rival. Ben, what would the Suns' rival be, then? If you're looking... I want it to be somewhat super random. I mean... Expansion extravaganza does seem kind of understandable. How about the Saints? They don't really have a rival. The Saints or the Dogs? The Dogs have the Giants. Sorry. Two Saints. Yeah, it would be funny if it was the Dogs and their their reason would be like, I just hate all expansion teams. I don't know. I, I like rivalries that have like no reasoning behind them. Like, why do you hate these guys? Because fuck you. Gold Coast and St. Kilda would be like the sadness matchup. I don't know. I think it would be funny. You know how like, you know how you see all those funny house-divided flags? One of the better Twitter accounts is the house-divided bot. Well, I think that bot got trashed. Well, a few years ago, I think it was John Boys. I'm not sure if it was a John tweet, actually, but it totally could have been. Where he's like, you know, just thinking about, he was like, just thinking about how, you know, somewhere out there, there's an Orioles-Diamondbacks couple. And when those two teams meet up for this one household, it's like the most important game of the year. Well, now they do meet up every year, which is nice. I would like to envision that somewhere out there, you know, there's like a Suns fan married to a Saints fan, and it's like you know, they don't talk to each other that whole week or something. Anyway, as for Q Clash, this one will get underway on Friday night at 11.35 p.m. on the West Coast, Saturday morning at 2.35 a.m. on the East Coast in the United States. 
at 9.35 a.m. in Finland. Finland! And 4.35 p.m. in Queensland. So this is Q-Clash 25. Lions lead this rivalry 18-6. to They've won nine straight. The only time they trailed in the rivalry was after the inaugural Q-Clash. The second meeting last year gave me hope that the rivalry could be better. And then the Lions won pretty darn easily in round 10, winning by 43. Lockie Neal dominated in the midfield and won the medal named after his teammate who now tore his ACL. Sucks that Will Ashcroft won't get the chance to win the Marcus Ashcroft medal just yet. The Lions come in at 13-5 at in third after defeating the Cats. The Suns are down in 8-10 and 10 after losing to the Giants. They're in 14th, but I mean... I guess they're not completely out of it yet. I mean, this week will be their death sentence. They pretty much have to win out. And that would mean winning Q-Clash. That would mean not just winning Q-Clash. Ask this week, if they were to somehow win this game, they got to face the Crows and Swans on the road, then they host Blues. It's, uh... And remember, they've yet to win at Adelaide Oval. Yeah. This should be, like, their grand final. I hope they play up to it. I know there was some Twitter drama this week. Basically, the Lions wanting to start fake thief and the Suns were like fake. There was good stuff about uh about the lights as well. I just want I want this rivalry to actually have animosity. We need some good like shit club no history chants or something. I feel like the Barry brothers will need to go after each other. Yes. You know what one of them needs to say to the other. My dad did your mom last night. I said yeah, which player had said that to his brother years ago. Was this like a, a hockey thing or? No, it was an AFL thing. Um, well, it's not the Mackays because there's only one of them. Oh, it was Michael Voss to his brother in an article written by none other than Rudy Etzel, who we met last year when he was briefly in San Francisco on a layover. For the Suns, they came out of last week injury free, but you could see some more changes this week. Uh, Braden Fiorini was the sub in round 18, was omitted last week put up 45 disposals in the VFL, and Malcolm Rose has put up two goals down there. The good news, if you're Stephen King, is, you know, you've got, like, 30 AFL-caliber guys to choose from. It's just a matter of, you know, you know, only a few of those 30 are, like, locked in. These guys need to be in an AFL lineup every week. List pressure is always a good thing. It's a matter of knowing which players can play well with certain other players, and that's an area where not sure a caretaker will have the easiest job with that. I think it will require a lot of collaboration with the VFL staff to look at that. I think the fresh perspective he'll offer is a good thing. I mean, I'm glad that he's backed in Sam Flanders because he was probably the Suns' best this past week. Probably their best the last two weeks. Not stupid, just sexy. We already mentioned that Will Ashcroft is out for the Lions with his torn ACL. They could get Zach Bailey back in to replace him. Bailey missed last week with a calf injury. Otherwise, you could see Kai Lohman be elevated to the 22. Lohman is now the undefeated king in the AFL at an unimpressive 6-0 after Francis Evans fell. We have some winless kings that I'm going to need to mention later, though, so uh, look for that near the end of the episode. Devin Robertson and Jared Lyons have been making their case in the VFL once again. They've been in and out of the AFL side this year. I would love for Nakaya Cockatoo to get in because he, he was mentioned actually by Michael Whiting in, uh, in the mix, and I was surprised to see his name up there again. But if they are looking for a half-forward option, Nakaya could get selected for his 50th game. 
And no one would be more excited than our friend Craig Wessels of a Yank on the Footy who fell in love with the Cats because of Nakaya. Also, that there are a couple of former sons on the Lions list. Jared Lyons is one of them, and Cal Achi is another. Achi was damn good last week, and I feel like he's got to be staying in maybe for the next few. A yeah, taller weight. Should have secured himself a spot until further notice after how well he played. One of their better outside marks in general. Not, you know, a lockdown defender, but versatile enough on the outside that he can be a part of a number of different game plans. The Lions are 20 and a half point favorites. I expect them to win by more because that's what they tend to do in Q Clash, especially on the road. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. Marcus Ashcroft medal pick. Shit. Um, I was going to say Danaver because he's been on a heater lately, but then I realized he'll probably have to deal with Sam Collins. Hmm. Let's go. Go Harris Andrews. I can see it. I like that. I was going to go with uh, Eric Hipwood, actually, backing him in for a better game. I think it will require him to have four or five goals, but I can see it happening. I mean, Zach Bailey got it after a five-goal performance one time. Saturday night, two huge games. The first one, you could almost say it's an elimination game. For the visitors, definitely. For the hosts, you could argue that. I mean, everything's still so close, but if the Swans lose this, then no, they're gone. If the Bombers lose this, I mean, they basically have to win out. And with their final two games being GWS and Collingwood, it's it's not quite an eliminator for Essendon, but... It really is for the Swans, I think. Although Sydney's remaining schedule, they got that trip to the Adelaide Oval. Honestly, now that I think about it, I feel like there might be a little more pressure on Eston in this game. Is is that is that crazy? I think it's because I like the Swans' chances against GWS more than Eston. Is that because the Swans have historically done better in road derbies? I'm still, for now, backing in the Giants to get the sweep, mostly because I want to see it and I want the Giants in the finals over, for example, Essendon. It's part that, and it's part that they probably should have beaten them last time. But anyway, this this is an important game, and it just sucks that we've got two great Saturday night games that are going to be running simultaneously, when I would have given either of these games the nod over Q-Clash. And Showdown should have been the Friday night game. I am sorry, not sorry, Collingwood and Carlton fans. Anyway, Essendon hosting Sydney at Marvel Stadium, Saturday night at 7.25 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, 2.25 a.m. on the West Coast. This is your Fox Sports 2 game. The Bobbers at 9-9, they're in 11th after losing the Dogs. The Swans, 8-9-1, they're in 12th after winning at Frio. This is the one matchup of the round that is not a rematch, though they did play twice last year. The home team won both meetings last year. The Swans clobbered Essendon in round 9 by 58 they were much more efficient inside 50 and we were really critical of Essendon's effort they did not lift for then captain Dyson Apple's 200th game at all so I guess getting shitted on in a captain's 200th game is now an Essendon tradition I guess so without our traditions we would be as shaky as as a bomber in week one of finals I mean or the the other way you could go about this or that is their tradition in fact you know, if I had a nickel every time the on in their captain's 200th game, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's funny that it happened twice. But then in round 16 at the G last year, 
one of the most shocking results of the season, with Essendon winning by eight as the Swans could not kick straight. Well, 12-14 isn't that bad. Goes up against 15-5. It was one of the hottest pressure games for Essendon, and I would have expected the Swans to lift a bit more, but they didn't. I, I went back and watched that game again as I was preparing for this just to get a glimpse of it, and I still remain confused by it. Essendon will be without one of their most important interceptors as Jordan Ridley's quad injury will take him out for at least a month. And Sam Draper is also going to remain out. So two key misses for the Bombers in a game that they probably do need to win. Also, Jake Stringer physically struggled against the Bulldogs. You, Ethan, were talking about him still being noticeable, but he didn't attend a single center bounce in the last three quarters, and that's an area where he tends to do some of his best work. And maybe he was playing through an injury, either that or it was just an adjustment that could be made. I'm, I'm going to give Brad Scott the benefit of the doubt and say that Stringer was playing through an injury. I can't see a healthy Jake Stringer only having eight touches for a game. That's what I'm expecting as well. So looking at potential replacements from the VFL, for Ridley, Kane Baldwin has usually been the next defender up. But maybe it's actually, get this, Sam Wiedemann, who all of a sudden is playing in the back. Is this like a, a Jack Silvani thing almost? I mean, Wiedemann has the body to do it, and it's given you much up front, but he is mobile. So I'm not completely opposed to this, which is funny because like I've been completely opposed to some other forwards playing back. Josh Bruce, for one. Callum Brown. Yeah. But I can see how this would work. Would be quite the test to do it at the AFL level, especially when he'd be in a more magnified role right away, potentially taking on a tough matchup like Buddy or Logan McDonald. I think Wiedemann will actually get selected, though, over Baldwin. Not going to put money on it, obviously, but I think it's going to happen. I also expect Jai Menzi to return in some capacity. He should not have been omitted and made that very clear in the reserves. And I'm also waiting on, and I mean, a lot of people are waiting on Elijah Sadas to make his debut, still putting up strong form in the VF. And as things get more desperate for Essendon, I think they'll pull the trigger sooner rather than later. On Sydney's side, maybe, you know, Draper, you go without either Tom Hickey or Peter Adams and just roll with Hate McLean. Uh, Callum Mills and Buddy are both dealing with some sorts in that Matt Roberts should be up for selection since he returned in the VFL two weeks ago. I think Roberts is far more likely to come in than any of those taller options, especially with how tall otherwise the Swans have already gone. And based on what John Logmire has said in recent times about how he's liked McLean being in that first rug role. And then also, you know, it, it's definitely a matchup thing, of course. No Draper, no obvious need for a true ruck. The Swans are favored by three and a half. And I do like the Swans in this one, I think. I don't know. This is a really tough game to predict. I think this one's just about a toss-up. I think it'll be the closer of the two games on Saturday night. And maybe that's a little bit of a disappointment considering the hype that's usually around showdown. But this is a game where I think the teams are, I think, much more even and are playing for something very similar. There's a pretty equal level of desperation here. And I think the in-game coaching this game is going to be fascinating. I weirdly think that if the Swans trail by within two goals at halftime, they'll win. It seems like a very John Logmire thing to happen. 
I think the Swans are more likely to win a blowout. I can't see Essendon winning a blowout. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at American Spuddy. You can find me on Twitter at Castle Media. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. Brian Harambe, the footy cat, is in the windowsill right now, calm for the moment. He has been all over the place tonight. He is on Instagram at cat named Brian. Can you believe this is already round 20? Honestly, I kind of can just because it feels like this podcast was, has been going for a while this season. Without the podcast, I don't think I'd realize how far along we've been. Maybe it's different when you're a fan of a team where you're just like praying for the season to end. But it feels like it wasn't that long ago. This was a baby season getting breastfed by Gil. Okay, I did not expect you to go in that direction. Does season 2023 want the biddy? The West Coast Eagles didn't set the record. They are the record. My God, it must be over 100 Kuriks. And then there's Showdown 54. It's the Crows' home showdown, a chance for a showdown sweep for them to even up the ledger. Man, this should be an incredible atmosphere. I mean, the atmosphere at the Adelaide Oval last week was pretty incredible, so shouldn't be that hard to build on that even more. The difference is that was for a port home game. I think this will be the best atmosphere for a Crows' home game, aside from the Gather round. since Adam Beast showed out 51 last year with Dawson's after the siren winner. That said, they've had some pretty good home crowds all year this year. I remember the Lions game being super hype. I think that was also because of Josh Shelley's great goal. And even the GWS game a few weeks ago. Yeah, they ended up pretty deflated, though. Yeah, but the, the fans delivered. So this will be 7.10 local time, 7.40 in Eastern Australia, 5.40 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, 2.40 a.m. on the West Coast of the U.S., Saturday for almost the entire world. But this is the Fox Soccer Plus game, so that clearly means that this is not a national broadcast, which, I mean, might get better broadcasters because of it. I'd love for Hudo to take this game. At the same time, though, A, it's probably Dwayne Russell, and B, unfortunately, you know that this wouldn't get as good ratings nationally on TV. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but I, I get it just considering the sheer number of people in Victoria versus the number of people in South Australia. The lasting image I have from Showdown 53 in round three. Wait, let me guess. Riley Philthorpe pointing and going, you did that to Lockie Jones. Might be the most underrated image of the season, especially because all the great things the Crows have done this year will probably get lost as they're well out of things now. It's up there with the Jake Browning point. That is one of my favorite images ever. This is from a college football game from, what was this, about six or seven years ago now? Between Washington and Oregon. That wonderful year where Oregon went three and nine. Yeah, that's not happening again for a while. At least I can be somewhat pleased with their success because they've got a bunch of local kids that I've seen develop for a long time. So that 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 is pretty cool. Yeah, guys, you've covered in your high school writing. But thinking back to what worked for the Crows in round three and showdown 53. A few great forward performances did not matter that Taylor Walker was not at 100% when Riley Philthorpe went off kicking five straight in his first bowl game of the year. And Isaac Riken had his first real good game as well, kicking four straight. Of course, he's not going to be in. His hamstring injury is taking him out for three to four weeks. And he probably would have been really considered the hero last week had the Crows been able to 
finish the job. He got hurt putting a really good ball into the pocket for Darcy Fogarty within the final few minutes. But it just wasn't to be, I guess. Also, I'll note that Chase Jones was really good in short-lived several in Showdown 53 as well, and he has been in the 22 every game since. I believe he's your sleeper, Ethan? I believe he was. Although, maybe it should have been Luke Petler the way things have gone. Not that, not that Jones has been bad by any. One of the reasons that neither of us would be surprised if the power dominate this game is that the Crows had a major blow last week, not just the Rankin injury, I think one that's far more significant, both short and long term, a torn ACL for Nick Murray, who I think was their best defender all year. So unless you get a lot out of like Max Michelini, Jordan Butt, who has supped off this past week, he's got to be a lot better. And then maybe Patrick Parnell. I don't, I don't know. Their defense. I don't know. In, t- in terms of being able to match up against the size that Port have, in their forward line. I think Michael Lenny and Josh War will need to be a lot more important there. Like, forget about or he's not going to be healthy in time to start next season. Just look at these couple of games. Losing Rankin sucks, but they have other good forwards. Even if Tom Duday was healthy, losing Murray would be huge. He's a big physical presence, and I think Charlie did this week. Maybe Charlie Dixon, Maybe Jeremy Finlayson, or maybe it will be far too predictable and Todd Marshall will just kick five or six. I'm going to back in Todd Marshall, actually, to be the leading goal kicker for Port, though I expect Connor Rosie to take out the showdown medal like he did, I believe, in the Port home showdown last year, end of the year. Better news for the Crows is that Rory Laird's likely this week. He was out with that shoulder injury last week. Ned McHenry was out sick. Uh, down in the sandful, you know, they've had really good performance down there all year and it's just they switch which of the good sandful performers you know they they just guys around you know you had guys like jackson hakeley move up instead played down the sandful as did sam barry uh lachlan galant six goals i think the crows in a sense are similar to the suns in that there's like clearly 30-ish guys that can play afl minutes it's like who can take that next step among kind of the guys that are on the on the fringes. Meanwhile, Port have a little under that, maybe between 28 and 30, who you can see be valid AFL selections. Riley Bonner and Jace Bergwin were strong in the Sandful last week for the Magpies, and Tom Jonas responded well to his demotion. But the most important change for the power this week, one that we already know will happen, is that Darcy Byrne Jones will return from concussion protocols, barring anything strange. Ryan Burton was the one to take that job last week playing as a bit more of a pressure player, more of a half-forward job that doesn't suit him as well. And Burton Jones has just looked so natural in that spot since transitioning from halfback. He was an All-Australian halfback just three years ago, remember? And that may have been one of Tanner Hinckley's best moves was to move Burton Jones downfield. That's opened up spots for players like Dylan Williams at halfback, among others and has just made for better list development. I think Burton does stay in, though, with Willie Rioli out for this next game after striking Nathan Murphy last week. That suspension was downgraded to one game, so Willie is in line to play against the Cats. You know, that's unfortunate from my perspective, but I think one game is correct. You know, if Rochelle was two, this should be one. Closed fist versus open hand is a big difference. After I saw that it was an open lap, like, yeah, this should be one game, not two. I think it took a bit for a lot of people to realize that it was more open-handed. 
Yeah, in, in real time. Was What is it about Nathan Murphy and getting hit in Adelaide between Tam and Itty cleaning him up in the gather round? Then I think it was the contact with Fogarty that should have been paid high. And then now Willie Rioli. I don't know. It's kind of like how Jacob Ware had his thing this year where he was just like getting absolutely drilled. Yeah, the first two games he played, he actually returned against the Crows, funnily enough. The Power are 16.5-point favorites. Yes, I know that home team often matters in showdown, but considering the Crows' outs, I don't think they'll be that close in this one. I want to be wrong. I want to be entertained, but something's telling me now. Yeah. Really, a lot of things are telling me now. Yeah, I think it, it would be very difficult for them to really keep this one tight. On to Sunday footy. It begins with Hawthorne playing a rare Marvel Stadium home game against a team that's in the midst of a five-game stretch at that venue, that being St. Kilda. So 1.10 p.m. local for Americans, 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Pacific on Saturday night. So I'll probably be finishing up dinner at that time. It'll be on Fox Soccer Plus. The Hawks at 5-13 and at 16th after the narrow loss to Richmond, letting it slip away late. The Saints, they're 10-8 and in 6th on the ladder. Nearly let a game slip away against North because of their inaccuracy and may have been the inferior team most of the way, but got the job done down the stretch, pushing Rowan Marshall forward for the fourth quarter. I gotta think he does a lot more work up front. That seems pretty obvious, especially if Jack, 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 Jack Hayes does come in. Tall situation a bit precarious for the Saints. I know Hayes was supposed to come in before having a slight setback. He was supposed to be in for Anthony Caminiti last week, but Caminiti was one of their more important goal kickers down the stretch, had a long-range bomb that ended up really sealing the win. These teams met in round 11, a 10-point Hawthorne upset victory where it looked like inaccuracy was going to cost them, and then they just kicked the final five goals and ended up winning by 10 behinds. It was a Jacob Kaczynski go-ahead goal, and then Luke Roost sealed it in the final minute. It was the first time and really the only time this year that the Hawks have managed to close out a game late. That's a stumbling block for a lot of young teams, and, I mean, last week's game makes that very evident for the Hawks. James Sicily absolutely dominated in that thing. 43 disposals. He did get suspended for his high bump on Anthony Cameron. I feel like that game is kind of like Sicily's season in a microcosm where he's been playing some of his best football at his age 28 season, but also he's kind of a grub, more than kind of. It's the price you have to pay at this point if you're Hawthorne. If you're going to have an impressive win, it probably means that Sicily will do something stupid and get suspended. Speaking of suspended... Ned Reeves is serving a one-game suspension for a dangerous tackle of Ivan Soldo. That couldn't just bring Lloyd Meek back in. Reeves also, last week, just vanished in the fourth quarter. Really hurt. That matchup against Soldo really got to him, and it's tough for him to be the only ruck in there. I'm not sure if he has the motor to be a full-time ruck, especially when, you know, thinking back to last year, one of the better things we saw from the Hawks was Reeves getting some center half forward time in the back end of the season. Wondering if Max Ramsden might actually get the nod over Lloyd Meek. You might remember a few weeks back before Ramsden got concussed when he was hitting the head with a Sharon somehow that he was going to be selected ahead of Meek for the round 18 game against North. 
Fergus Green is a test he missed last week with a knee injury. Offense did still did pretty well without him. And then down to the VFL, James Blank returned from a concussion. Lachlan Bramble and Harry Morrison played down there. Cooper Stevens was an AFL emergency. Please let him play. And then Jai Sarong is making the case to get in. We've said our piece on Cooper Stevens. Well, really, Ethan, you've said your piece on Cooper Stevens for very good reason. You got a bit familiar with his game last year, and he's deserving of the nod finally. Please let it happen. That's what he moved clubs for in the first place, to get more playing time. He did. We know about a couple outs for the Saints. Brad Hill thought it was maybe a knee issue that got him subbed out. Turns out the more pressing matter was something with some lungs. I guess you weren't following that game as closely. That was my game, but he was taken to the hospital for precautionary stuff. Yeah, I remember the the knees still hobbling him, though. So I guess it was a matter of, you know, which of them was the more impactful injury and what's actually listed there. We also learned shortly before we started recording that Dougal Howard will undergo surgery on his wrist. So that'll put even more stress on the back line there against a Hawks attack that can be pretty potent, especially if Chad Wingard and Mitch Lewis continue in good form as they had last week. I mean, Wingard was excellent in the first half plus a minute, and then he did nothing. Pretty much, yeah. If you look at his uh, the way his fantasy points progressed throughout the game, he basically flatlined for about an hour of play. In the VFL for Sandringham, Nick Caulfield returned well, playing his first game since February of 2022. After going through ACL rehab, Ryan Burns impressed, and he could be the in for Brad Hill. Liam Stalker was the carryover emergency after his first omission. Maybe he can get back in with some defensive reconfiguring, imagining that Josh Battle will need to play a more important role there. And maybe Cooper Sharman slides back if Ross Lyon backs in Caminiti or Hayes, or really just gives Rowan Marshall more of that forward time. And then looking ahead to maybe as early as next week, believe it or not, Max King is well ahead of schedule and may be able to return from the shoulder setback. That would be huge. Ains forwards have just looked completely lost without him, which, again, is strange because they didn't look lost playing without him at the start of the year. But after a few games with him, I guess they got really reliant. Yeah, that confused me a lot as well. I was expecting Mitch Owens to be able to play a little taller, and I'm still waiting for Matthias Filippo to get a steadier forward 50 spot. I know Ross Lyon was talking about managing his workload. It's been a while since he's just played forward. I firmly believe that he is going to be a damn good player as his career evolves. If I'm the Saints, I'm much more concerned about his performance in the next couple of weeks than I am, you know, like two to three years from now, my big picture. The Saints are five and a half point favorites. I want the Hawks to win this. I want them to get the sweep. I think they can. I just doubt their ability to be able to close out another game and have the stamina for it late with what the Saints showed being able to corral themselves last week. I do think in a slower pace game, you know, stamina holds up better. So maybe Ross Ball could kind of play into Hawthorne's hands now that I can think about it. Yeah, I think there's also a distinct possibility because the Hawks have had some pretty good performances where they just don't have it. You know, every few weeks they have one of those. Maybe this will be that. I hope not. I hope they win this. I want to see the best eight teams play finals. Are the Giants part of the best eight? I'm not sure, but I think they have better arguments to be there. Saints, too. Fair enough. 
the Saints and Bombers both are kind of the ones that, you know, they benefit from scheduling and probably wouldn't be a great fit to play finals football this year. When the home and away season ends, I will definitely take a look at what results would be without games against the bottom two. All right, your middle Saturday game, Richmond hosting Melbourne at the G. This will be their second meeting of the year, of course, with the whole rematch theme. This is your typical Sunday mid-afternoon game, 3.20 local time. It'll be 1.20 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and it'll be 10.20 p.m. on Saturday night on the West Coast. Normally, this is a Fox Sports 2 game, but this one will be a delayed Fox Soccer Plus broadcast. I guess Women's World Cup stuff may get in the way of that. I think that's probably what it is, yeah. I mean, you know what they say. Women be shopping. Women be shopping. Yeah, women be shopping. The Tigers come in at 9-8-1. They're in 10th after barely beating Hawthorne. The Demons are at 12-6. and six. They're in 4th off of their win over the Crows that look comfortable and then not comfortable and then more comfortable again and then not comfortable. It was another barely game. Barely. Well done, Adam Tomlinson. I can't believe I'm saying that, but yes, well done, Tomlinson. So if you ever watched The Soup, you know, they had their like unlikely voice of reason with the little jingle, including like Miley Cyrus and other celebrities, you know, when they would act profound. And I would love to have like some sort of thing like that when a player that we don't think is very good falls out. Adam Tomlinson, his defense was a pleasing. Yes. Back on Anzac Eve. Uh, Number one, despite having to play against four extra people, and those people also had whistles. It was fucking bad. And it was the only game that night. It it was, you know, Monday night footy to itself. So you couldn't look away, but also just like, ah, it was so aggravating to watch that. I'm I'm very glad that they ended up winning there. And it was a combination of Max Gaughan and Brody Grundy playing well that really worked for them, as well as Kate Chandler kicking three goals, which he also did last week. Either none or three for Chandler. Like, once he gets one, you might as well just leave him wide open because you know he's getting two more. Probably don't. I'm very glad that Kate Chandler and Kazi Pickett are not mutually exclusive in this lineup. And Kazi playing more in the midfield has made that more of a guarantee, I would say, at least for the next couple weeks. It's going to be difficult to keep in Chandler and everybody else again with Charlie Spargo playing down in the VFL and with the question of what's going to happen with Brody Grundy. I think if anybody, I guess it would be someone like James Jordan more at risk, or I don't know, maybe Tom Sparrow? I'd say Jordan, though. Yeah, Jordan getting dropped back in the sub role seems like way too predictable. Yeah, he, he's been there enough. Again, he has a grand final medal despite not playing in the game. As the Tigers look to stap a three-game head-to-head streak against Melbourne, they could get two players back from hamstring injuries, those being Jaded Short and Jacob Bauer. I want Bauer to get more full games and or just get full games in at the AFL level, period. That was so difficult to watch. All the hype surrounding a debut, and then I think it was 78 seconds of game time. So here's my question. He had, what, one disposal, right? It may have been two. So if he's playing, do you give him a standing ovation after 79 seconds of clock time or after a third disposal? Good question. I think it's the third disposal. I really want people to have fun with this. I also want Matthew Coltart to keep having fun at the AFL level because he was one of the players that helped them win that game on the smaller side after the sub last week. Electric wing, aggressive kicks, had a two-bounce run. I believe it was seven disposals and 
three score involvements, including an assist. He looks really in tune with things already. And with Marlon Pickett being quiet last week, and then Tyler Young being the player for whom he came on, I think there's a risk of either of those being dropped, particularly Pickett if you're going like for like, or maybe having Pickett play more forward. But I think you got to keep Coltart in. Yeah, and as tough, I think he's got a damn good case to move up to the 22, although I would be unsurprised if he also sticks in that sub role. Again, that's the difficulty there. You don't want to be too good as a sub. You don't just want to end up 2022 Toby Bedford. I mean, there are worse things you could be. And I'm glad that he's gotten so much time and been such an important player for the Giants this year. But, you know, point stance there. It may be tough for Coltar to come straight in, though, because of one Noah Cumberland kicking six goals in the reserves. Yeah, even though Cumberland has not exactly impressed this year, he's a player I really like. He just hasn't exactly impressed. You know, six goals, it's it's hard to keep you down after six. So should we kind of pencil in Cumberland to come in as well as Gallant for Adelaide then? I, I, I would think so. I would be surprised if, if they are there. On the Melbourne side, Harrison Petty could be back. He's trying to return from a rib injury. Uh, ben Brown got subbed out last week for Joel Smith, a move that ended up working really well. I was surprised at the magnitude and immediacy of Joel Smith's impact in the forward line. Very quickly, he had a goal, another near goal that was just touched, and an assist after Melbourne had given up the lead for a moment when Adelaide had leveled the scores. I'd be more keen on having Michael Hibbert in, though, instead of Petty, especially with Tomlinson having been better on the tallest side there. I think Hibbert can play on some smaller targets or maybe mid-sized targets a bit better, and especially looking at a matchup for someone like Cumberland or probably more likely needing somebody to body up against Dustin Martin. Dusty has been consistently kicking one or two goals a game while also getting into the 20s for touches. He's back to more of the form that we expect for him. I think Andrew McWalter has gotten him in the right spots. I think that's been the case for him as well as Trent Conchin and some of their other veterans. If the Tigers win this game, I think Dusty's going to end up with multiple goals. I think he could, they could lose and he could end up with multiple goals. I just don't see a way in which they win and he only gets one or doesn't score. Yeah, that, that sounds right. I'd give it up on predicting what Richmond are going to do this year. Week in, week out, there's such a fucking enigma. Uh, Melbourne's favored by 12 and a half. Uh, Sure, why not then? Richmond's a little the Boston Red Sox this year. Just like, I have no idea what they're going to do on any given day. All right, uh, so main character, oh, oh, wait, shit. 18th place, 17th. Of course it's the last game of the round. On one hand, I'm going to be inclined to sleep in this because I've got an early day Sunday and will not have slept much the night before. You're excused. On the other hand, I kind of want to see what happens with this. West Coast hosting North Melbourne for the long-anticipated rematch at Optus Stadium. Is it long-anticipated? I mean, considering the frustration of round one, especially for Eagles fans, I would say so, maybe. I mean, thinking back to that, anticipated for a while for both teams. I think they both know it's their best actually winning a game. It's the Eagles' last chance. Looking back to that round one game, it was a five-pointer, North winning by five behinds. Harry Sheasel had 34 disposals and took out the Rising Star nomination on debut. Ruben Jinby laid 12 tackles, which I think is 
the second most uh, in a debut in the past 20 years after Jai Newgum. But between Oscar Allen missing a gimme dribbler and Bailey J. Williams being an absolute idiot throughout most of the game, the Eagles did it to themselves. And Williams has been a lot better as of late, but I'm still not sure if I'm over that performance from him. You know, you say this is their last chance, but I still I still see a couple of games that could be interesting. I think Western Derby, because it's Western Derby. Yeah, and because Rio have kind of fallen off and you know, we'll see about we'll see about Essendon next week. That would be fucking hilarious. I mean, any Eagles win that's not this week would be really fun. I think the Eagles winning this week would still be fun. It would. I'm so pissed off that North weren't able to close it out last week. I want Brett Rappin to get a win. The man deserves something. He deserved a win over not the worst team. I'm sure you win. He'll still get, you know, all sorts of congratulations and stuff. I hope they bring him into the circle and spray him if he gets a win. I think he's done a lot, even without winning this year, to improve, like, the lead-wide perception of him because he got a really tough job. Hey, tell me if you've heard this before. Luke Shuey is out with a hamstring injury. I, I have heard that before multiple times. Yeah, of course you fucking have. Everybody has. Xavier O'Neill was the sub and is likely into the 22 in Shuey's place. I'm more concerned about what the defensive makeup is going to be, considering there was no good matchup last week for Charlie Curnow, even with Oscar Allen sliding back there, and you shouldn't have to have Allen sliding back there. Jeremy McGuffern is... I guess somewhat likely to return from his concussion. Don't know about Tom Barras with his shoulder, but hopefully he's in. Elliot Yo could also return from his hip injury, and he'd be useful in the back six before he inevitably gets hurt again. Because, as we remember, Elliot Yo was born with glass bones and paper skin. You know why Luke Shuey got hurt last week? Because he's getting old? No, with Daniel Ricardo returning, that would just be too many Shueys. Oh, geez, you're right. Can only have so many shoeys one time. Yes, I did say that O'Neill's probably going to be the one to come into the 22, but I'd rather have it be Greg Clark. I think he's much more aggressive and has more promise to be a key player these next few years for the Eagles, even though he is already on the older end as a mature age recruit. Clark had 37 disposals at eight inside 50s in the Waffle this past week. He hasn't played at the AFL since round 13. He's 0-19 at the AFL level, and this is, you know, somewhat of a chance for him to get a win. I have yeah. a friend, but Greg, he's probably not listening to this. His name is Greg Davis. Similar to Greg Clark, that's a pretty ordinary... You know what's not such an ordinary name? Greg McKay. Greg McKay is a hockey player. I'm just still so fascinated by that being his name and thankful that his family made that his name. It sounds like a minor league baseball, like it, not independent league baseball mascot name. You can tell how seriously I'm taking this game and how irreverent I'm being right now. Oh, I don't worry. You have a reason to not take it seriously. That said, like, I will still take this game seriously when it actually happens because look, it's hard to go this many weeks without a win. And I want to see players be happy. Although... The draw would be a really funny outcome. If I weren't an Eagles member, I would want a draw. I think it would be the funniest possible thing. Like, neither of you get to have nice things. And I would love to see both teams after a game. Like, it's a draw. And after the game, both teams are just like, 
apologizing to each other. I feel like the captains would need to get on the public address system and apologize to the fans. No, because it could be like a really good captivating. It could just also be a draw. And it would be really funny to see both teams receive each other. It's like, man, I'm sorry. I really would have liked to see you win. You guys deserved one. <laughs> like, like full-on sarcastic ball. So Greg Clark is 0-19 at the AFL level. One of our favorite players for North as of late, Eddie Ford, is unfortunately 0-17. I think, well, if Clark plays, something's got to give. That's another reason why I really want him in. I have occasionally referred to Eddie Ford as Harry Ford by mistake, not to be confused with the actor who should not be allowed to fly a plane. But Harry Ford, the baseball player, is a good Seattle Mariners prospect who played for Great Britain at the recent World Baseball Classic. Uh, Both his parents were born there. I just want to talk for a moment also about the uniforms that Great Britain wore at the World Baseball Classic. Didn't they just say Great Britain? It's not just that they just said Great Britain. It's the font, the everything. It's like the made-up FCS teams on NCAA 14 had better uniforms. Right. As for the North Melbourne injury stuff, Liam Shields is out at least two weeks with calf injury. Jai Simpkin is expected to return. The second concussion in round 17. Uh, Callum Coleman-Jones had a second concussion a week later. He could still need more time, which means he could work with both Tristan Jerry and Todd Goldstein in there, which is good because we like when Todd Goldstein plays. Tom Powell is dealing with a knee injury, could be back this week. Same goes for Charlie Lazaro, trying to recover from a back injury, and Flynn Perez with his knee injury. Uh, Perez kicked his first career goal against Geelong a few weeks ago, and it was a really nice kick for like the edge of 50. Did he hurt himself with that kick? I don't think so. Perez, I just checked has a career 1-21 in record. Hey, he's got one. Was that the um, top-up game against the Eagles last year? Or uh, was it the Richmond game? It was the Richmond game. You know, what, one of the things that's really frustrating with both these teams combined, they have one win that you look at, that you looked at with like a level of surprise and satisfaction, because... I mean, West Coast's one win at the time. We didn't think the Giants were going to be any good. We thought they were a bottom 14. Also, in terms of the players for this game, I'm hoping that even though it would hurt the Eagles or him to, to be in, if Hugh Greenwood gets another chance at the AFL level, I don't get why he wasn't in before. I liked how aggressive Will Phillips was on ball, but Greenwood is also right up there in that respect, and having Greenwood in there could also maybe allow Simkin to get a little bit more outside, avoid maybe some of the scarier spots and some of the greater injury potential, especially with his head concerns. And then we've seen a lot of midseason draftees for this year get debuts recently. And Robert Hansen, the Kangas pick at number two, is a Western Australian native from around Geraldton. He played for Subiaco, so hopefully he gets an opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised to see Hansen as a sub-debutante. North favored by only four and a half, which seems a little low. I know you would back them in to win by four. 58. I don't think they win by that much. I do think they win. You know what I think is going to happen this week, though, that I think will be really cool? Is I think Eagles fans are going to show up in really good numbers for this game. I think we're going to get around 43,000 because it's been about that the whole way. And it's not going to be a strong road support. Yeah, I think it's going to be, like, as weird as it is. Normally, it's like, 
we suck and we're playing a bad team. Nobody shows up. But it's like, we suck, but they also suck and we could win. Yeah, it's like fans just really want to see their team win. But that's that's how I see this. Well, in that case, then, Oscar Allen would have main character potential. I think Nick Larkey goes off. Like you said, you know, struggle to stop Charlie Curnow, I think, would be similar issues there. If, but, especially if one of the governed or Barass or both of them remain out. Larky also just tends to body the Eagles in the first place, regardless of who's in. Well, he just said Oscar Allen, but that was not like a formal main character pit for the round, right? No, because I don't expect the Eagles to win. All right, who's your main character? My main character pick then will be, because I'm pulling for the Hawks to get the sweep, and because he's been quieter as of late, Dylan Moore. I'm going to go... Toby Green. For the second time this year? Yes. We haven't had anybody be a repeat main character, but Toby got the nod for City Derby 25, and with him having been delayed out in Canberra, I think it would be great if he goes off in Ballarat. I don't have anything against the Bulldogs, but I do want DWS in finals. All right, that's just about it for the round 20 preview. Barring any sort of crazy list stuff, we'll see you again for the round recap. By then, you'll be around Atlanta, right? Correct. I'm really looking forward to this round. I am not looking forward to watching it from the Eastern time zone. Well, I'm ready. You're not. Ring it. You can follow me on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Find me at Castle Media. Find Brian on Instagram at CapNameBrian. Find us collectively on Twitter or... A, no, I'm not calling it the other thing. On Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. And I'm going to go to bed and I imagine the cat's going to follow me upstairs. Bye. And I'm going to say what a member of the Black Eyed Peas said after their performance before Super Bowl 39. I'm not sure which of them said it, but one of them said, Have a happy football! Everybody have a happy football! (laughs) 